That's cold-blooded. That's not Ivan. You'll never convince me Ivan was cold-blooded. you got to be really cold-blooded to do that. You know what? I'm sorry. There's something in this woodpile, and I don't know what it is. When this thing goes to court and trial, I have one shot and one opportunity to be not guilty, or I go to prison in death row. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the reality of it. We have busted alibis. We have caught people in lies. This is just insane because everybody's pointing the finger at somebody else. You just don't hear every day walking in somebody's house, they're going to take the plastic out and pop somebody. So he could get the execution date pretty much any day? Yeah. There's no impediment. This is Cousins by Blood. Episode 32. Loose Ends. On November 7th, 2000, Dallas PD executed the search warrant in the Pear Ridge apartment and found evidence in the trash can and the closet as Ivan and Amy headed back to Dallas from Arkansas. Also on November 7th, this message was left on the answering machine inside their apartment. Saved message, November 7th, 8.52 a.m. Ivan Francisco, it's a Tuesday, uh, 9 a.m. Uh, give me a call at uh, 210. And uh, let, let me know how we come. If you got time, if not, uh, call me this afternoon. Um, bye. Aside from this answering machine message, there was a major piece of evidence that connected Francisco to this case that we'll get into momentarily. But who was this Francisco? And why was he calling Ivan during the time when all this went down? Unfortunately, I couldn't ask Francisco. He died about four years ago. However, yet another on and off again girlfriend of Ivan's would help connect a lot of dots in this case. I just want to tell you, like, the whole story and then kind of how it started and then where I am now with all of this. My idea of how all this happened has definitely changed over the years. You know, when I first heard about Ivan, my nephew had said, um, Dad, Dad, Ivan's on TV. And, like, my brother's like, what? And he said he went over to the TV and he saw Ivan's face on the television. And it was, it was crazy for me because part of me was like, yeah, he definitely did it. That was my first instinct just because he was kind of out of control and I knew him. He was in my life for a long time, about five years. So, you know, when I first met him, he took, this was not when I first met him, years later, I go to his house in Frisco and, you know, thinking about it now, he was like 22, 23 and, he, and I don't, I don't remember how, I just remember the house was big and he drove a Corvette. And now looking back, I'm like, God, he was 22 or 23 and he had all the stuff. So looking from the outside in, my parents loved him because, you know, the boyfriend at the time that I was dating, they didn't like him. And then they see Ivan and they're like, oh my gosh, this guy is great for her. Um, so yeah, he, he seemed like he had, he had it all. And then he ended up losing the house. I, Learning from the podcast, you know, he had a a red Mustang that I used to drive around. That would be the same Mustang that Sylvia and Ivan's Aunt Penny went to pick up from Anthony at Carlos' house on November 6th. Well, so, yeah, so you knew him for so long. How many times did you meet James? It's like I met him one time at dinner, but it wasn't anything that I remember, like word for word. Well, what did you take from Ivan and James' relationship? So I felt like James was like the heavy hitter when it comes to the drug, the drug business. And Ivan was just like this guy that was just, you know, running behind him, trying to keep up. But I never saw Ivan as like a hardcore criminal type of person. Um, I never saw him with a gun ever in my life. 
Um, he, I never saw him fight. He wasn't like, you know, walk in the room and let me just fight everybody. He wasn't like that. I just, I don't know. I just, I never saw that side of him. Hmm. Well, but then, um, you said when you first, you know, heard the news or saw his picture on the TV, you thought that he must've done it. I mean, why did you have that reaction? So when I hear about this, you know, and also I had moved on from him. I was a little, you know, jaded with how our relationship went at times. So I was like, well, you know, he's in jail. He must've done it. And I actually thought all of these years that he did it. I was like, I, I actually, my dad, you, they talk about in the podcast about him going to Mexico. In Amy's statement, she said, We left my parents' house on Tuesday, November 7th at 12.30 p.m. On the way to Texas, Ivan talked to people on a cell phone. One call he stated he was going to Mexico. Well, he called my dad, and my dad, he called my dad and said he was afraid for his life. And that um, he was being framed and that he wanted, he needed to get away. And my dad actually said he was going to take him to Mexico and hide him. My dad was convinced that he didn't do it. And we never really talked a lot about it because I, I started dating someone else and was in another relationship. So just out of respect, like he needed to let it go at some point. When would Ivan have called your father saying he was afraid for his life? He called him while he was in Arkansas. And how do you know that? Your dad told you that? My dad told me, and my mother is still alive. And she um, told me she was sitting right next to my dad um, when Ivan called her, called him. So Ivan called your dad, said he was afraid for his life, but did he say why he was afraid for his life? He just, he, did, all did your of dad my mom ever said, no, he never told me. He, I think my mom said he just said I'm in trouble, and I need I need to I I need to get away. Um, he said he's he's afraid for his life that uh, someone was after him, and my dad. So if you notice, my dad, it's just crazy. It makes me really sad hearing my dad on the voicemail. You know the guy that says, "Hey, Ivan Francisco, it's a Tuesday, uh, 9 a.m. And uh, let, let me know how we come." You got time. If not, uh, call me this afternoon. Bye-bye. That's my dad. Mm-hmm. And he said, let, let me know what we need to do. Basically, let me know if you still want to go to Mexico, is the way that I took that. Wow. Huh. So he was talking about going to Mexico. But your Yeah. But your dad at least your dad never took it as you know, I've killed my cousin, I need to go to Mexico. Yeah, he would never take if he knew that he killed somebody, he would never would have he might you know, listening to that and all, going through all this again, it makes me realize my dad was very giving and thoughtful and didn't come from a lot and he just always wanted to help people well this is like an example of that like he wanted he really believed in Ivan and liked Ivan and he knew he knew that he did not do this but uh I mean again when people hear like Ivan was trying to flee to Mexico you would think that well this guy did it he's trying to get out of Dodge and go to Mexico but you don't think at least that's what he was telling your dad that's not what he was telling my dad. I feel like when when I heard the thing about the pizza man, I feel like that was not the first time I had heard that. Um, I feel like the pizza man thing came up from, with my dad. And that's why he said he wanted to get away because these people were going to come and kill him. You know, I, 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 I'm torn with this, honestly. You know, I've had my mind made up for so long that he did this. And then, you know, it's just like thinking all this stuff through it. It's really sad to me. It's it's very, it's very sad. I was so angry with him for so long that he put himself in all these terrible situations. And it was like, well, this is what you get. This is what happens 
when you keep fucking around with all these things. That was, that's been my mentality for 20 years. He was just so careless with like everything. It, it's almost like the spoiled boy syndrome. Like he was able to just do whatever he wanted to do. And I think he just fucked around with the wrong person. Meaning? Whoever these people are. and But then again, it's like, was he just so high on drugs? My naive young self, I didn't know he was doing drugs as much as he was. I had no idea. So was he just so fucked up on drugs that he did this and he doesn't, you know, he regrets it because he's sober now? I, I don't know. You know, Ivan's a very smart person and, you know, you guys have mentioned him being meticulous. I agree with that. He's smart. And some of the things that have, like the, the car being outside the apartment, he never, if he would have done it, he never would have left it there. Just kind of like careless things that I feel like any criminal would have not have done. Um, you said that he called my dad or someone called my dad from his apartment. Mm-hmm. What, what, can you tell me about that? And this is the other major piece of evidence that connected back to her father. You'll remember in episode 10, Ivan's current lawyer pointed to two pieces of evidence that suggested other people could have been involved in setting up Ivan. Two pieces of evidence that Ivan's original trial counsel had in their possession but never presented to the jury. The first piece of evidence being the 11.15 a.m. toll tag hit on James Corvette that was at a time when neither Ivan or Amy's timeline had Ivan driving the Corvette. And the second piece of evidence being the phone call that was made from inside Ivan and Amy's apartment when they were known to be in Arkansas. Well, that call was made to this former girlfriend's father but there's a little more to that call. So Ivan and Amy leave for Arkansas sometime around or before noon on the 4th, that Saturday, and then the bodies are found over at James and Amy's house about 4.30 or 5, and Ivan and Amy get to Arkansas around 8 p.m., and sometime around the same time, like, Ivan's mom was over at James and Amy's house, and she remembered about Ivan, and she wanted to go over for a safety check. Her and the two officers go over to Ivan and Amy's apartment, and then they're in there for a while, for like 15 minutes or something. But then the call was cleared, I think, at, at 8.37 p.m., meaning, with if the call is cleared, meaning they should have been out of that the apartment and locked back up. But then an outgoing call happened from inside Ivan's apartment and I, I think like from like 8.53 to your dad. So yeah, that was the, that's a mysterious call. It always struck me odd as like, did somebody else, you know, break in there 16 minutes after the call was cleared? Or I think the male officer, Younger, testified that uh, Sylvia actually made that call. Uh, but Sylvia said she didn't make that call, but maybe, you know, in panic, maybe she forgot, I don't know. I don't think the cops would have. So it would have been either Sylvia or somebody else came in there 16 minutes after the, the cops left, which would almost seem like the, the, that somebody was waiting for the cops to leave and then go in there. I don't know. But now I think I do know. That mysterious outgoing call from inside Ivan's apartment that was made 16 minutes after the safety check was cleared made it look like Sylvia and the cops should have been out of the apartment by that point, indicating someone else would have had to come in, possibly to plant evidence, and they must have made that call. But like you heard, the male officer who performed the safety check testified that Sylvia made the call. And in going back through his testimony, he specified they let Sylvia in after they cleared the call which does make sense. They performed the safety check, 
came out, cleared the call, then let Sylvia in, and for whatever reason, she must have called one of the last numbers on the caller ID, which happened to be Francisco. Sylvia did say she was in shock after hearing about James' murder, so that could explain why she didn't remember making the call, and the male officer testified that she didn't get through to anyone, which would also make it unmemorable. It always did seem unlikely that someone would have broke in only 16 minutes after the cops were there and used the phone to call a number that connected back to Ivan. If the number connected back to, say, Mario Rosas or Carlos or Anthony, that would be something. But it did not. This is not to say that someone could not have gotten in later and planted the evidence, but I think now it's fair to say that the mysterious call is no longer a mystery and doesn't provide any exculpatory value on Ivan's behalf. As far as the other piece of evidence, the 11.15 a.m. toll tag hit, we'll be discussing that in greater detail in an upcoming episode. Here's one thing that I thought that maybe you could help with is Ivan was also convicted of stealing James' bracelet because this Figaro gold-plated, probably Figaro bracelet was found at Kramer's house in Arkansas, and then James's sister said that that was James's bracelet. But Ivan was like, no, that was my bracelet. It was given to me by an old girlfriend, and that old girlfriend would have been before you. Do you happen to remember? I mean, it's 20 years, but uh, on the off chance that you remember that if he had a Figaro bracelet? I mean, is it like a bracelet? Is that like an oval, like ovals connected, not oval? Yeah. Like rectangles connected or like intertwined? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I remember him wearing that. Um, I wonder if I have a picture of him wearing the, the bracelet. After checking everywhere, she couldn't find an old picture of Ivan wearing that Figaro bracelet. She had thrown out all the pictures of Ivan years ago. But as you'll remember in episode 15, I reached out to the store manager where Ivan said his bracelet came from and sent her a picture of the gold Figaro bracelet in evidence. And she said it was an extremely common bracelet that you could get anywhere. There was nothing special about that bracelet. And I don't doubt that James had a Figaro bracelet, but considering his former girlfriend remembers Ivan having one also, it seems very plausible that the bracelet and evidence was Ivan's all along, which would mean the prosecution used Ivan's own bracelet as evidence tying him to the murders. And there was one other element of this case this former girlfriend could fill me in on, Gambino. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I mean, I used to go to um, meet him in Austin. He always hung out with this guy that was kind of, I felt like he was in the mob. <laughs> and he dated this girl. This is, crazy shit he dated this girl that would only eat peaches that's all she would eat and they were just a weird couple he was old much older she was probably my age at the time um and her mom lived with them just kind of weird we'd go to dinner with them and then the guy told me that i was getting in the way of his relationship with ivan i don't ever know what that meant but he felt like i was coming between them um, I never knew about anything that they were doing. I still, to this day, have no idea um, what, their, what, what was the purpose of that relationship because he never shared that with me. 
you'll remember that Bob, a.k.a. Gambino, was Ivan's old boss at a mortgage company in Austin. At the time, it seemed like Ivan was working with him or for him. And by him making that statement to me made me think that whatever he was doing with Ivan, that I was potentially getting getting in the way of that. But again, I don't know anything about that. I don't even I don't even know this guy's name. I don't I don't even know what they would have been doing. Would you uh, happen to remember if his name was Bob? Mm, I don't know. Did he ever go by the name Anthony Gambino? Oh my God, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. Pretty sure you're talking about a Bob. People have described him that, that he kind of looked and had that feel like he was kind of like a mobster, gangster type of guy. And then he, and then he also told people that he went by an Anthony Gambino because maybe his, he, said, he would say his mom was a Gambino or something. So, um, and then I think that that woman is named Tiffany. Um, yeah, that's that sounds familiar. You know, I'll say it all the time. Ivan, you know, he was, I feel like he, he made a comment on the podcast. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time, like several times. It's so true. I feel like he never had a father figure. He was not close to his dad. So I feel like he always reached out to these people because he was always searching for that. Like I think about this guy... It was more of like a father figure type of relationship to me. I'm still trying to get some more information about that guy, but there definitely was something going on down there. Um, no, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've thought about that. Um, I didn't I didn't think much of it at the time, I think, because I was so young and naive. I honestly felt like Ivan was, even at the time, I felt like he was out of his league with this guy. He almost reminded me like a Tony Soprano type of guy. Gambino, definitely one of the most intriguing characters and connections in this case. You'll remember in episode 24, the owner of the murder weapon was an older man, now deceased, named Aubrey Gordon Patton. We found out from Aubrey's ex-wife that a man named Gambino was seen hanging out with Aubrey in the late 90s. The first time I interviewed Gambino was in 2019, when I didn't know about this possible murder connection. And over time, I discovered other possible connections to Gambino. You'll remember that there were phone calls on Ivan's cell phone bill to Gambino at around 4 a.m. the morning of the murders. Ivan said he didn't make those calls, so he thought Amy was in contact with Gambino behind his back. You'll also remember that Kramer said... He thought Gambino left Amy a message on his answering machine in Arkansas, which would indicate Gambino and Amy were in some kind of communication. Since episode 24, I've tried to get a picture of Gambino so that prior to my second interview with him, I could confirm with Aubrey's ex-wife we were talking about the same guy. But even as a PI, I could not obtain a picture of this guy anywhere online or through databases or even find a good address to conduct surveillance and just take a picture of him myself. This guy was kind of an enigma. So even without the confirmation from Aubrey's ex-wife, I called Gambino, armed with all this new information, to see what he'd have to say. Because this second interview with Gambino could prove Ivan's guilt or innocence. Hey, how are you, sir? Uh, I don't good. know if you remember talking to me, but I talked to you maybe a couple of years ago um, about Ivan's case. Yeah, what's up with that? Yeah, yeah well, I wanted to ask you, did you know uh, a guy named Aubrey Patton? Um, I think he went by Pat. I heard the name, but, but I, I don't know who he was. He lived on Cobbler's Lane. Oh, yeah, now the name sounds familiar, yeah. He was a friend of Ivan. No. He was a friend of Ivan? Ivan said he didn't know that name. I'm trying to think. Why, why do you ask that? 
And so, you know, obviously I'm concerned with the time around 2000, the time of the murders. And so I spoke with one of his ex-wives that was living there briefly. She was married to him like around 96, 97-ish. And she said at that time, Aubrey Patton was running an escort service out of his house. And I'll tell you why I was, I was going down this whole Aubrey Patton um, Avenue in, in a second, but she said that she remembered a guy. He had some guy that was running around with him, Gambino. She said that, I was like, oh, Gambino. Well, I remember you, you told me that uh, you sometimes went by Gambino. So I wanted to see if for some reason that she was talking about uh, you or that we're talking about the same Gambino. <laughs> Not I. Does any of that sound familiar? No. Hmm. Trying to remember how I... How do you know that name, I guess? Yeah. And nobody has ever figured out um, where this gun came from, this gun that was found under one of Ivan's other ex-girlfriend's couch cushions. And so the name that never came came out at trial was this Aubrey Gordon Patton. It was actually his gun. It was registered to him. I think he bought it in 96. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. What does Ivan say about the, the, you just said he was running a call guard service. What did Ivan tell you about that? Well, Ivan said that around that time, he remembered talking about starting up an escort service in Dallas. I guess there was another guy named Lance. Now, this is a weird piece of the story that is worth noting. This Lance is Lance Tackleman. And if you were in Texas in the 90s or just a football fan, then you may remember that name. Lance was a star defensive football player at Texas A&M in the early 90s and then drafted by the Indianapolis Colts and played professional football for multiple years. Well, in 2001, he was called to the stand to testify in Ivan's trial during the punishment phase. And Lance actually brought up Gambino's name. But to start his testimony, the prosecution asked Lance, Do you know the defendant in this case, Ivan Cantu? Yes, I do. How long have you known him? I would say two years. Where did you meet him? Outside of Club 7. Is that an after-hours bar and club? That's correct. We've heard about Club 7 from Ivan and Amy. That was the nightclub where they first met, and one of their stops, the morning hours of the murders. Did that place ever close, or was it like a 24-hour kind of thing? They closed at 4 in the morning. Were you ever there that late to see what it was like at four in the morning? Pretty much. Whenever I went there, I was there until four in the morning. I guess we probably all have images of what everybody looked like at four in the morning. But kind of tell me about that. Well, it's actually a little more upbeat than you might think it would be. You know, you would think that it was a seedy hangout, but it actually had a pretty strict dress code. And you did have to be somewhat, you know, dressy. But it wasn't after-hours bar, so people would go there once they got pretty well tanked up or whatever it might be. Okay. Was it crowded at four in the morning? Very crowded. Now, during the two years that you... that you'd known the defendant, what was the nature of your relationship? We were just... just socially friends. Not anything else. Like, for example, uh, how often in a given week you'd see him in a social setting? Maybe once, twice, possibly. Were you married at the time? Yes. Okay. Do you know a fellow by the name of Paul Maggio? Yes. Was he ever a friend of yours? Yes, he was. And this Paul Maggio was friends with Smiley, Ivan's ecstasy dealer buddy who you'll be hearing more about in an upcoming episode, as Smiley's apartment was Ivan and Amy's first stop after Ivan's midnight visit to James' house. And you'll remember from the jailhouse tapes when Ivan's mom was trying to get a hold of Smiley 
she was actually calling Paul's number. I'm calling Smiley right now. Okay, okay. I need to speak with uh, Smiley, please. This is Ivan's mother. It looks like that's a wrong number. That's not a wrong number. Did you call Smiley? Or did you call Smiley's home? Smiley's home. Okay, that is a wrong number. Smiley's home is Paul's number. Paul. Paul Maggio. Yeah, I, I told Tinny to tell you. Okay. The one that says home is really Paul's number for Smiley. So now we're getting a sense of some of Ivan's circle around the time of the murders. The questions about Paul Maggio continued for Lance on the witness stand. Did anything occur later that strained or tested your friendship with Paul Maggio? Yes, he interfered with my marriage by testing my wife sexually, I guess would be the... And I know this goes off into left field, but it will come back around, so stay with me for a second. Basically, Lance testified that Paul Maggio was hitting on his wife, which really pissed off Lance. And I guess Paul got worried that Lance was going to come after him since Lance was this big football player dude. Because Lance testified that Paul Maggio had these mafia-sounding guys call him and tell him that Paul's with their mafia organization. And if Lance went after Paul, then these mob guys were gonna come after him. I told you this was a bizarre story, but it was a part of Ivan's trial. And from what I gather from reading the testimony, the only reason for the prosecution to call Lance to the stand was to testify how Ivan responded after Lance told Ivan about the situation with his Paul Maggio. Did you have a conversation with the defendant, Ivan Cantu, about these pretend mobsters calling you to try to protect Paul from, uh, from what was on its way? I did. I discussed it with Ivan. And what was his response when you told him that? His response was, do you want me to find out if they are really mafia people calling you because he had connections? Did he make any offers to you then? Yes, he did. What did he offer to do to help you with your situation? He asked me if I would like to have Paul Maggio knocked off. Was he laughing when he was saying it? No. Did he have somebody he said could do it for him? He said that he was friends with a Gambino, Anthony Gambino. Of course you don't know whether that was true or not. No, I don't know if it was true or not. But that's the way he was talking. And that's, that's the kind of stuff he was thinking about. Was that typical of him a lot of times, that kind of talk? No, no, he never. Besides that one occasion, that was the only time that that was ever mentioned to me. So that testimony was during the punishment phase of Ivan's trial. And I assume the prosecution was trying to further establish that Ivan was a detriment to society and deserved the death penalty because he made the comment about having Paul Maggio knocked off. I wanted more information about that whole exchange, but I couldn't ask Lance because a few years after that testimony, Lance suffered a mysterious and untimely death. In 2004, the news reported that the former football player and his 29-year-old wife were found dead in their Lake Highlands townhouse. Authorities said there was no obvious trauma to either tackleman. The last information I could find online, police listed their deaths as unexplained. So I asked Ivan, what was the deal with Lance's testimony? And was there any truth to him asking Lance if he wanted Paul Maggio knocked off? And Ivan wrote me, Paul Maggio, no hit was ever put out on him. Lance said that to juice up his testimony against me. Matt, here's what happened. Allen Police Department arrested Lance on October 17th, 2000 with a bunch of GHB. GHB is a party drug sometimes referred to as liquid ecstasy. And that date that Lance got arrested was October 17th, 2000. Yep, right before the murders occurred. Well, while I was awaiting trial, Lance decided to contact the Collin County DA's office to testify for a sweet plea arrangement. 
So he made up the lie regarding Paul to assist the prosecution with securing a death sentence against me. How do I know that he contacted the DA's office for a sweet deal? Unfortunately, Geller told me, so there's no way to prove it. Matt Geller, Ivan's original trial lawyer. Unless, of course, Lance's attorney is willing to talk to you. Matt, here's how I found out about Geller. During one of our conversations at the courthouse, he asked me, who is Lance Tackleman? I explained who he was and how I knew him, and Geller said, well, he contacted the DA's office and said some bad things about you. Here's what I don't know. I'm not sure if he personally contacted the DA's office or if he did it through his attorney. I contacted the attorney who represented Lance on his GHB charge. He said, you don't forget Lance Tackleman. He was a huge guy, and he got busted with a huge amount of GHB, over 400 grams. Since Lance had been deceased for quite some time, he was willing to tell me what he could remember. He said he was working to get Lance just probation for his first-degree felony charge. The lawyer made an open plea, and he had to present the judge reasons why Lance shouldn't be convicted and sent to prison that it was in Lance's and the public's best interest just to give Lance probation. He said if Ivan's case was occurring around the same time, and if Lance was cooperating with the state and this lawyer knew about it, he would have presented that to the judge. But he couldn't remember if that was a point that he made in the open plea or not. And he no longer had his files on the case to confirm one way or another. But he did know there was no official agreement made about Lance cooperating with the state and testifying in Ivan's case, because it was an open plea. But while Lance was on the witness stand, during cross-examination, Ivan's lawyer, Matt Geller, asked him, You were presently under felony indictment in this county. Yes. This courtroom for aggravated delivery, over 400 grams of gamma-hydroxybutyrate. Yes. You understand that if you're convicted of that, it carries a minimum of 15 years in the penitentiary. Do you know that? Yes, sir. And in return for your testimony today, what favorable treatment are you seeking from the Collin County District Attorney's Office? Absolutely none. Okay, that's all I have. So we don't know if Lance had any kind of backroom deal with the DA's office. The timing was sure peculiar though, and it does make you wonder who found who for that two-bit testimony. Did somehow the DA's office find Lance, or did he find them? Regardless, Lance's testimony couldn't have hurt his case. Instead of that 15-year prison sentence, Lance did end up just getting probation. So, yeah, definitely a weird side story in this whole thing. But that's the Lance that also connected Ivan to Gambino at trial. And in regards to starting this Dallas-based escort business, Ivan said, It was kind of Lance's deal, but Ivan said he did remember talking maybe with you about a property, getting a nice location for this. Ivan said, you know, it was a kind of a harebrained idea that was kicked around. So that's when this girl, Aubrey Gordon Patton's ex-wife says, you know, this guy was running an escort service. I'm like, wait a minute. Now, where's all this escort business coming from? You know, so do you remember anything about Ivan talking about this escort service? He asked me about it. He said that I can't remember who, why he wanted to do it. Said there was a lot of money in it. At that time, I was managing houses, okay? Property management. And he wanted to, uh, to borrow a house for one. That's the way Ivan remembered it as well, but nothing ever came of it. You know, some of the names, you know, when, when you're sitting down bullshitting over having a beer or something after work, a lot of things are said. But how? when do you know what what's really realistic and what's not exaggerated? You know what I mean? Ivan had a lot of big ideas. I, I need to tell you this, okay? I don't think Ivan's telling you the whole story. I only say that because it, it just seems, well, he should know all this stuff. Well, let me ask you this also. When Amy, after the murder, she went back to Arkansas to go back to where her stepdad lived and her mom. Yeah. And we got a phone call. And nobody was home. We went on the recording and just said, uh, Amy, honey, this is Anthony. I just wanted you to know that I think the world of you, if you ever need anything, you contact me. She, she thought it was Gambino. No, I never oh, made no. that call. No, I never made that call. 
I don't know what she's okay. talking about. Whether Gambino made that call or not, he was not going to cop to it. And there's no record of Kramer's answering machine tape and evidence. It seems it's nowhere to be found. So the Anthony that left that message will go into the pile of evidence that it seems we will never know for sure. And let me ask you uh, this other thing, because Ivan goes back to his phone records for around the night of the murders, and he notices there were calls made to your phone at around four in the morning. It was like at 424, 426. It was, it was right around 430. What uh, number was that? Of, let me pull it up here. He was like, Matt, I never made those calls. He was like, was somehow Amy talking to Bob? And I was like, I don't know. Well, let me ask Bob. So the number, it was out of Austin, and it was 512. Nope, that's not my number. That was never my number. I had a 972 number. Hmm, okay. He thought that this Austin number would have been you, so that was not you. No. That's never been your number. Look it up. Okay. Never mind. Number. Know. You know, I, and I'm not saying this in any bad or any different. I I haven't played a lot of games. So what do you mean? Well, I mean, you know, you never knew what he was doing. Hey, can you hold on one second? It's my doctor. Of course. Calling. While Gambino was on the other line. I looked up that Austin number that Ivan thought that that was maybe your number, but it actually comes back to Tiffany. Was that the Tiffany? Yeah, that's Tiffany. Tiffany was Gambino's girlfriend in the 90s. Yeah, that's weird. Why would he be? He wouldn't be talking to her. Tiffany didn't like him. I mean, did Tiffany, and Tiffany didn't know this Amy for any certain reason, no. right? No, she never met Amy, no. Yeah, see, that is, because I'm looking at it, let's see, calls to, yeah, it would have been calls made from Ivan's cell phone to Tiffany's number at 426. 4.28 and 4.29 a.m. the night of the murders. But why would he call her? Ivan says he never made those calls, so he thought that Amy was maybe making those maybe calls. Amy but, call, but why would Amy? She never knew Amy. That's the God's honest truth. That makes no sense. None of this does. Mm-hmm. I continued to look at Ivan's cell phone record, and... The October before the murders, there's a lot of calls to that number, um, 7880, 7880, I mean, so you, and you never shared that number with her. That was only her number. That was her number, yeah. Okay, well, I guess I'll have to talk to her and see if she remembers Ivan trying to, Ivan or Amy, because, uh... Yeah, sure enough, there are quite a few calls to that number. That's why I thought that that had to be you because you were the only no. contact that he knew in Austin. But uh, nope. okay, nope, nope. Then why would she call Tiffany the night of the murders? That's a big mystery. There's something that don't make sense here. I agree. Somehow, Ivan's needs to tell you really what went on that night, because as myself as a bystander, I don't understand if they murdered these people, let's just say they did, okay? Why do you go back to a murder scene to see if there's drugs and money? I'm only synopsizing what you're saying to me, and I'm sure you're a good private eye, but if you put this picture together, there's something wrong here. Amy had to be part of this deal. She would have had to be. Or they didn't do it at all. And Amy was scared of someone else. Hey, look, man, I'm trying to tell you the fucking truth. Ivan didn't wear jeans. He was too prissy to wear jeans. How many bullets did he fire? Around seven rounds were fired. And how many bullets does a 380 hold? Seven. Seven, exactly. 
Yeah. That does not talk like Ivan. That's cold-blooded. Oh, yeah. Some, Whoever shot him, they put four bullets in Amy, the victim. That's cold-blooded. That's not Ivan. You'll never convince me Ivan was cold-blooded. you got to be really cold-blooded to do that. You know what? I'm sorry. There's something in this woodpile, and I don't know what it is. It was hard to get a read on Gambino. Does he know more than he's saying? Is he just covering for Ivan? Or is he really in the dark about what happened? But from what the ex-wife told me, it just seems so likely he did know Aubrey Gordon Patton, the actual owner of the murder weapon. I had to give it one more shot to see if he would give me any more indication. Just the fact that uh, this Aubrey Patton, you know, running that escort service, somehow that's, that's the connection. Somehow, Ivan or Amy knew somebody that must have at some point known or gotten that gun from Aubrey Patton. I'm, I'm sorry I, I can't help you more. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, and I, I remember asking you before, and but you never knew Ivan... You never saw Ivan with a gun at all, even no, though. I, not, you know, no, I never saw Ivan with a gun. I'm not going to change my story. Because Ivan wasn't what you call a, a tough person, okay? I'm not going to change the, change the story because there's no reason to. Yeah, Ivan was not. As a matter of fact, Ivan was a pussy. I don't mean that in any disrespect. That Aubrey Patton or this house on Cobbler's Lane where they were running an escort service, that does not ring a bell at all, huh? I don't remember it, to be honest with you. You know, I don't. Yeah. Huh. Truthfully, you know, 2000, that's what, 21 years ago? You know, and back then, I don't know if you know, uh, I was very big, okay? Okay, when I say that, I weighed weighed 300 pounds. Nobody screwed with me. And that was very interesting, because you'll remember when I asked Aubrey Gordon Patton's ex-wife... How would you describe him? Like a big, like over 250 pounds, or...? I don't mean like fat. I mean like big, like he was wide. He was just a big guy, you know what I mean? Like, kind of football player big. Right, well that was one other thing, because this gal, what she remembers about Gambino, she described him as like football player big. But I was a swell. I wore a 48 jacket with a 34 inch waist. He was wide. He was just a big guy, you know what I mean? Like, kind of football player big. You know, I was young. I mean, I had a nice body. There's just too many elements that match up. It's gotta be him. I don't mind talking to you, but I don't know how much I can help you. Yeah, I'll keep you posted on this thing. I hate to see this man get on. I know, we'll see what happens. All right, bro. All right, thank you, sir. I let Ivan know that Gambino simply denied it all. Knowing Aubrey Gordon Patton, knowledge of the phone calls the night of the murders, and leaving an answering machine message for Amy in Arkansas. Ivan said he never called Tiffany. It was Amy who was calling Gambino. Ivan was adamant Gambino was covering for Amy, and that number that came back to Tiffany was the number he used back then. So Ivan said Gambino was being untruthful about that. Ivan said Gambino knew more than he was letting on, just like Gambino said about Ivan. I made attempts to question Tiffany about the whole situation, but she never responded. There must be more to the story with Gambino, but with the evidence at hand, I just can't prove it. For right now, the Gambino connection is a major loose end. 
there was another person that should hold a major piece of the puzzle, though. On November 3rd, right before Ivan's midnight visit to James' house, when Ivan and Amy were getting ready to go out that night, there was a third person in their apartment. Hey, Matt, I'm going to say something here, and I, and I want you to understand, I don't know how this is going to play into all of this, but mm-hmm. the more we talk about this, it brings more details into my brain. And I, am, I swear to God, I am not making shit up, okay? Next time on Cousins by Blood. final episodes and I know there are people out there with more information about this case now is the time to let me know you can call me at 469-382-2004 or email me at cousinsbybloodpodcast at gmail.com follow us on social media and check out the website for all pictures case information and trial transcripts at CousinsByBloodPodcast.com. The Prosecution, read by Catherine Ganaimi Leach. Lance Teckelman Testimony, read by Chris Rossing. Mixing and Mastering, by Jody Abbott. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned. Stay tuned.